Psalm 42 was written, as you look at the top, it's written by the sons of Korah. Now, you know David, who wrote many of the songs, but you may not know the sons of Korah. Let me give you a little background on them. Korah was a man who questioned Moses and Aaron's authority. Why are you guys the high priests and we have to do all this work in the tabernacle? Who gave you that authority? He didn't believe that God gave it to him. And so he had a conflict with them. And because of this, because of his arrogance and his pride and his desire to be in a place of authority when it wasn't given to him, God caused the ground to open up beneath him and his household and his servants, and the earth swallowed them up. Isn't that pretty intense? You can read about it in Numbers chapter 16. But the descendants of Korah, who were not destroyed, they moved on to live. And Samuel was one of these descendants of Korah. And the Korites became the doorkeepers and the custodians of the tabernacle. And some of them became musicians. They played guitar and piano and all the other fun instruments. No, probably different instruments. But they sang and they wrote psalms. And this is where we get some of the psalms written today, particularly the Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. What a great verse. You were going to sing that verse at the end. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. While men say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God. With shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him. My Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls out to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is within me. His song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. That's the chorus of the song, don't you know? This is the second time it's repeated. Why are you downcast, O my soul? We sing, bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul. We should start singing it. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Who likes to be around a downcast person? A sad person. I only like to be around sad people if they can create beautiful music out of it. I heard a sad song yesterday. The first time I heard it, it blew me away. I could sit and listen to sad music all day long. Not because I'm sad, but just because I love how beautiful sad music is. 
That's a gift that God has given us. And this is what they're doing. Why are you downcast, O my soul? This beautiful psalm. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. It's very different than let everything that has breath praise the Lord. That guy's happy. This guy is depressed. He's disturbed. He's broken. Is it okay to be downcast? Yes. This is where God teaches us these broken moments, these moments of being in the valley. He teaches us. He walks with us. We can learn so much in these valleys. The actual word can also be interpreted melted away or dissolved. Who of you wants to feel like they've been destroyed in a sense that you're just gone? You don't exist. None of us like that. But it's okay to have a downcast soul. If it's in the Psalms, it's good enough for me. It's okay to be discouraged. It's okay to be in despair. It's part of life. It's part of our formation as human beings. To have time in your life when you feel defeated is good. You don't hear that very often. That, that message isn't preached very often. God teaches us humility. And in these moments, we must depend on Him. But this is an even deeper despair than, the, than things not going your way. This is the dark night of the soul where God feels distant. He's far. Like He doesn't see. Like He doesn't care. Like He's not going to respond no matter how hard you cry and how loud you cry. So you feel alone and helpless. And all you can do is cry and cry out, help. Have you ever been there? Maybe you're there now. Help. Tears have been his food all day and night. While men say, where is your God? Is it okay for us to ask, where is God? Or have you been taught that as a Christian, you have to be in this place where you constantly have to at least express or put on a face that you know that God is near? Is it safe to ask that question? Where are you, God? The writer here is being mocked. Where is your God? They're saying, you believe in God and yet God is not here to help you. Where is he? We're taught that God is always present, that he loves us, that he hears us, that he sees us, that he's with us. We're taught that the Holy Spirit dwells in us. We are, after all, in Pentecost. Pentecost was, was two weeks ago. Am I allowed to feel as if God is not here? Am I allowed to ask, where is God? And I want to say yes. That's allowed. Why is it allowed? Well, it's common. Many people ask that question. But also, is not God big enough to handle that question? Isn't he strong enough? 
Now, I don't want you to think, Pastor J.D., you're not teaching faith. No, I am teaching faith. What is faith? If I have faith, this should not happen, right? No. Those who have faith cry out to God. No matter how deep and how sorrowful that cry is. Those who don't have faith don't cry out to God. They just mope and complain. Or try to act like everything's okay. Faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you cannot see. And so crying out to God in a dark night of the soul means you are sure that he's there even if you don't feel that he's there. A couple of times throughout this week, sorry, not this week, a couple of times each week, excuse me, if you can see me wiping my nose a lot in my eyes, I, I tear up because I cry, but my nose, just because I've had a sinus infection throughout the week, so bear with me. A couple of times throughout the week, Brianna has to go to an appointment or run errands, and I have to watch the kids. I don't have to watch the kids. I want to watch the kids, right? And I'm telling you, watching the kids is always harder than working. Amen? It's Father's Day. Mothers know exactly what it's like to be at home with the kids. Some, some fathers know what it's like to be at home with the kids all the time. But as me, I'm the, I'm the one who works at the church. And I go to work and I study and I meet with people, do various things. When I say various things, I mean a variety of things. You can ask Marianne. And it's much easier to do those things than to be at home with my kids. Because Colette's at a place in life where she screams like an amazing screamer. Like the best screamer in the world. She'll blow my eardrums out, and which has happened this week. Not because of her screaming, but because of my infection. And I'm at home, and things go well most of the time. But sometimes things don't go well. And the kids get antsy, and I get antsy. They get stressed out, and they're stressing me out. And I ask this question, where are you, Brianna? (laughs) Sometimes I text her, where are you? Are you there? Are you not? Do you not hear? My cry for help. (laughs) But why would I ask that question if I didn't believe she was coming? I ask that question because I know she's coming. I just want her to come and help. That's where I was. I know she's returning, but when? How much longer? Now, it's really not that dramatic. But those are my thoughts in those desperate times. And whatever you're going through in life or whatever pain you've had in your life, it may not be that dramatic. Sometimes it may be very dramatic. I know some of you have, have had incredible loss. You've had times in your life you thought, where is God? I'm downcast. I'm melting away. So what should I do? Psalm 42 teaches us this. One, to remember and give thanks. Two, to put your hope in God. And three, praise Him. You'll see it in the chorus of that psalm. Remember and give thanks. It kind of sounds like it's talking about the good old days. Remember those good old days? It's good to look back and give thanks. It's not good to dwell in the past and live in the past. But it's good to look in the past and give thanks for all that God has done. And to remind yourself, if God could do this then, 
He can do this today. If God is good then, God is good today. It's good to remember. Then he says, put your hope in God. So that's the past. This was the future. Our hope is in God. Hope is also tethered to the past. Because of what God has done, it gives us bright hope for tomorrow. And then third, it says praise. This is the present. It's okay to go past, future, present. Praise God. Praise Him in the now. Praise Him in the dark places. Praise Him in the valley. It's easy to praise Him on the the mountaintop. It's tough to praise Him in the valley. It's easy to praise Him when times are good and healthy. It's tough to praise Him when you're suffering and sick and lonely and dying. Praise Him. Then he says, my Savior, my God, he's mine. I want to take a look at Elijah. Elijah was a man who, a wonderful prophet, feared the Lord. He did what the Lord told him. At the highest height of his career, he was meeting face to face with the prophets of Baal. And he said, I want to prove to you which God is real, which God is powerful. And so he set up a little competition. You take a sacrifice and you call on your God and I'll call on my God. Whoever's God comes and burns up the sacrifice wins. And they said, deal. So they got their guys together and they had their sacrifice on the altar and they were crying out to God, beating their breasts. They're uh, cutting their bodies and Elijah was mocking them. He's like, maybe your God's sleeping. Call him to wake up. Nothing ever happened. Then Elijah got up, he said, it's my turn. He rolled up his sleeves. He asked them to go get water and dump a bunch of water on the altar. Filled the water. Sorry, filled the altar. The troughs were filled. Everything was drenched. It was soaked. There's no way you could light a flame on this. It had to be the act of God. And he prayed one little prayer. And the fire of God came from heaven and consumed that sacrifice and licked up all the water. Pretty amazing. Is God present? Yeah. But shortly after that, Elijah got a little fearful. He heard that there was a queen, Queen Jezebel, who was so angry about this, she put out a death threat upon him, said, I'm going to have you dead. And so he ran away. He was scared. He was so scared and so alone and so lost that he began to be hungry and thirsty. He was weak and tired. He's in the desert. He even prayed a prayer that he would die. Not like, I'm so sad I could die, but like, God, kill me. I don't think many of us have experienced that type of sorrow. Maybe you have. Take my life. Not as take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee, but may my life end. It sounds like my soul is dissolving. I'm melting away. My soul is downcast, doesn't it? And so in his sorrow and in his hunger, he fell asleep. And he was awoken by an angel who made him breakfast. Wouldn't that be nice? Happy Father's Day. Here's breakfast from an angel. He ate it. He drank and he laid down and slept some more. Sounds like a good morning to me. It happened again. And this time, the Lord himself spoke and commanded him to get up 
and eat and drink. And so he did it, and he traveled 40 days after that and 40 nights until he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And then instead of staying on the, God, on the mountain praising God, he went into a dark cave. And he sat in his gloomies, in his dark place. He didn't want to go anywhere. Now, God is obviously present and evident in his life, yet he was downcast. And the word of the Lord came to him. This is 1 Kings 19, verse 9. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Is he complaining? Is he moping? He's definitely not remembering. He's definitely not praising God. He's not giving thanks. He's not putting his hope in God. He's focused on his misery. Difficult circumstances. They're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face. And he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Now, isn't that amazing that God told him to go out and stand on on the mountain, yet he still stayed in his cave? Who knows? Maybe he went out and the wind came and he's like, no, this is too windy. I'm heading back in. No, it's too shaky. I'm heading back in. Ah, there's too much fire. I'm going back in. But it was the whisper that brought him out. And when Elijah heard it, he put his cloak over his face. He went out, and the voice said again, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied the same thing. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, the king over Aram, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Mahala, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. So Elijah went from there, and he found Elisha, son of Shaphat. Isn't that a good story? 
Elijah's soul is downcast, so what should he do? He remembers part of the story, but he lacks thanksgiving. And I'll encourage you in your life, when you are called to remember, don't just remember the parts of the story that you want to remember. Ask God to point out where he's been faithful and good. Even in the midst of your pain and suffering, the deepest wounds in your life, God is present. And he can remind you of his sweet presence. He stands before God, but he doesn't praise God. It's too often in life we can go through the motions and we come in a place like this and we can stand and worship. We can go through the motions. We can kneel. And I would say continue practicing these things. But do everything you can to let your soul loose and praise the Lord even in your pain. He stands before God, but he doesn't praise him. And he receives instructions to anoint a king and a prophet. So there's hope. There's more to come. There's people to take his place after him. And he, we see that he goes to Elisha. So he does part of that. When I am downcast, when you're downcast, we can cry out in faith. Or we can focus on our own misery. And I encourage you, do the first. Cry out in faith. Let God have all your agony. He's big enough to handle it. Do not focus on your own misery. When we are downcast, God provides. We can cry out, God, where are you? And choose to remember all that he has done and give thanks to him and hope in him and praise him. But don't be tempted to get into a place where your misery takes the forefront. When your soul is in despair, God can meet with you and rock your world. He could speak softly to you. Yet if you are so focused on your own misery, you may miss the blessing and encouragement he has for you and the mission that he gives you. Recently, the past few months, my soul has been downcast. It's been difficult to come through the pandemic and have most of our people uh, yeah, it's just been tough. But I'm sure you can look around and, and miss faces, people who used to be here who are not here. When I saw this passage, it was part of the lectionary, I thought, I shouldn't share that my soul is downcast. I'm going to tell you, I'm not depressed. But I am heartbroken. (laughs) 
I haven't been remembering. Let me blow my nose for a second. It'll get better, I promise. I haven't been remembering. I haven't been giving thanks. I haven't been living in hope. I haven't been praising God as much as I should. I've been complaining. I'm sorry. You probably haven't seen it. I've kept it private. In this last 10 years, in my ministry, I've seen, I've seen two of my good friends go through divorce. I've buried many parishioners whom I love. I've not baptized as many people as I'd hoped. The bulk of the baptisms in the last few years have been my own children. The neighborhood looks nicer. But it's still filled with lost people. And my prayers feel like they're bouncing off a wall. is why I wish I didn't have to preach on this sermon today. (laughs) Why am I so downcast? What should I do? So that's one way to focus on misery. Or I could cry out in faith. I, I confess, I've done both. I've not done the cry out in faith well. But here's an example of what that looks like. Thank you, Lord, for 10 years of ministry. It's been a wonderful ride. And I know you've called me to do more. I trust you. Thank you, Lord, that we have approximately 40 40 to 50 people. Lord, would you light us on fire and move us to be your hands and feet in this world? Help us to love you, to love our neighbors, and to love each other well. Strengthen our marriages and families. And may the next 10 years produce great fruit.
We send out our friends, David and Cheryl, and Abby and Alex and their kids to their new homes. May they be a light in the darkness. May they boldly live out the way of Jesus in their new contexts. May people draw, may they draw people to you through their friendships. There's not enough tissues. Thank you for the people who have been part of our church and have left for whatever reason. All of them are my friends, and they still are my friends. And the hardest part of being a pastor is having friends leave. But Lord, bless them. I pray that the influence that we have and that we've had in their lives may be carried over into the lives of others. May be carried over into the lives of others who do not who do not know you yet. Father, thank you for those who have died this past decade. Thank you for Lillian, for Dorothy. For Bob, for Preston, for David Carney, for Frank Parsons, for Guy Huter, for Patricia Alabay, for Betty Cooper, for Miriam Over, for, for Isaiah Hernandez. Rodriguez, for Bill Trimble, for David Bloomfield, and for Joey Petty. So those names may not ring a bell, the last ones. Some of those you remember all their names. I miss them, but I look forward to the resurrection. Thank you for my children. The last 10 years, we've had four children. Thank you that we have been able to baptize all of them. Thank you that Brianna and I get to raise them to know you and love you and serve you. What a wonderful gift. Lord, give us more new believers to baptize this next year and expand the kingdom of God in this neighborhood and this city. Let us be part of what you're doing and let me be part of what you're doing. I ask that strongholds would be broken and people would be set free from unbelief, from addictions, from slavery to sin and be brought into the family of God. whether they go to our church or some other church. May your kingdom come and let us be faithful to your kingdom purposes. Thank you for the opportunity to pray.
and to cry out. Thank you for testing my faith. Thank you, Lord, for sharing and for loving and forgiving of yourself. Thank you, Lord, for developing me into the man that you want me to be. Thank you for humbling me. I want to glorify you in all that I do, no matter what. No matter if I see results of a church of 20, a church of 200, or a church of 2,000. Lord, help me to become a stronger disciple of Jesus this year and in the years to come. Lord, I ask you to to equip me to help others become disciples of Jesus this year. Lord, you hear my prayers. You are not far from me. You are with me. My hope is in you. And I praise you. I praise you, my Lord and my God. Why is my soul so downcast? I'm thankful that Christ was downcast for us. And it led him to the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Yet he cried out in the garden. He sweat drops of blood. And on the cross he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he breathed his last breath. And he entered death. Our Lord was downcast. Yet he didn't stay dead, did he? He didn't stay in that gloomy place. He rose victoriously in strength and honor. He ascended to the right hand of the Father and he pours out his spirit upon us. While we can be downcast for a season, we are not to be downcast forever. We have great hope. He's the one. Because of Christ, we of all people should remember and give thanks. Because of Christ, we of all people should have the greatest hope. And because of Christ, we of all people have reason to praise God even in the midst of trials and sufferings. Even when things don't go the way that you expected them to go. We have Christ. The one who's risen from the dead. God, we thank you. We bless you. We trust in you. Lift us up in Jesus' name.